job. We're glad you found us. We're going to do a little, little, do a little bit differently this morning. Uh, we normally have communion all together before the sermon. Today, our lesson will lead us to communion. So our theme for 2021 has been the way. And uh, we are committed to knowing the way, to walking in it, and showing others the way here in the Roanoke Valley. So over the last couple weeks, we've emphasized the importance of connecting with God. And we must always start with our foundation, which is our relationship with God. So today, this morning in the sermon, as we prepare our hearts for communion, we're going to be talking about your heart. God wants us to love Him with our whole heart. God promises us that we will find Him when we seek Him with our whole heart. God grieved when the religious leaders worshipped with their lips, but their hearts were far from Him. God pays attention to our hearts and tells us that every thought and attitude will be revealed before Him in whom we must give an account. You know, what is in your heart matters to God. He wants your heart, not some of it. He wants all of it. He knows it's best for you to give your whole heart to Him. The reality is, my heart and your heart were created for God. And the truth is, your heart longs for God. Your heart beat is a rhythmic melody that sings a silent song to God. Hopefully not too silent. It's not working too well. But the lyrics of that song are like many songs that we listen to on the radio. They're stacked up on your Spotify or Apple playlists. You know, those songs, and ultimately our hearts, are expressed in those songs. And they say things like, I want to be loved, respected, adored, cherished. I want to be pursued. I want to know that I'm being thought about. I want to be more than I can produce. I want to be cherished. I want to be cared for. I want to know that you won't run away when you see the ugly sides of me. I want to know that I'm worth that you won't run when, again, the, 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 uh, the, the appearance wears off and I'm left old and gray. I want to know that I'm not too much to handle. I want to know you won't leave me. You want to know that you're a best friend, a partner, more than just a co-worker or a cohabitant. You want to matter. You want someone to stop in their tracks in admiration. You want to know that love is for the long haul. You know, in our hearts, we say all those things. We read them, we sing about them, we hear them on the radio, you see them in the aisles of the Valentine's Day cards at CVS and Walgreens and Kroger and Walmart. And hopefully you've run out and got some Valentine's Day cards and hopefully you've called some people and wished them a happy Valentine's Day. But you may say just just as easily as those things, you may be, be your, your heart might be singing a different tune saying, love stinks. Forget about this. Or I hate Valentine's Day. <laughs> and, that might, and that might be true. And our hearts may be singing a song that says, you know what? Uh, my heart doesn't always want God. 
It's true, our hearts can be all over the place. We often give our hearts to cheap imitations. Our hearts look for homes in all the wrong places. We entrust our most precious, precious, precious possession to the fading glory of this world and its patterns. Your heart is conflicted. Your heart's been wounded. It may be oozing its pain in forms of bitterness, disillusionment, anger, hopelessness, and maybe even apathy. We've given our hearts to things, to people, to the created, instead of the creator, and we've gotten burned for it. The truth is we zigzag through this life now withholding our hearts from God, withholding it from others who, who we should be giving it to, and we're giving it away too freely to the world and things we know it shouldn't go to. You know, our hearts are conflicted, they're wounded, they don't always seek God, and some of our hearts squint its eyes in distrust and cynicism this morning. Because of that, the way to our hearts can be a complicated labyrinth. Our hearts can look like this, where, you know what, come and get it. You want my heart, you got to work for it. You better... You better figure it out. It's not easy. And we've guarded our hearts and we've thrown up the, <laughs> the pattern here that maybe some of you guys are trying to figure it out right now. But our hearts can be like that. Our hearts can be a labyrinth. Our hearts can be caged like this. Well, good luck trying to get to it. And if you do ever find it, you know what? I have the key and I threw it away. You know, some of that can be our heart this morning. But the beauty... No matter where our hearts are, whether you're fluttering in love with God and appreciation, whether you've given your heart to Him and, you know what, you're doing great spiritually. And, you know, God has, has knocked down a lot of the walls that hindered you from giving your heart. And you're experiencing quite the revitalization in your relationship with God. Great. And uh, this sermon's still for you. And if you're feeling like, you know what, I've lost, I've lost my love for God. My heart's distracted. My heart's all over here, all over there. And yeah, you know what? You're right. My heart does squint its little beady eyes in cynicism and criticalness. Or maybe you're somewhere in between. Maybe you are. Your heart, I used to give it more to God, but you know now I find myself holding back or pulling punches or just giving a little bit because I'm not sure if I fully trust in his provisions or what he's going to be able to do. Or I don't always feel loved by God because... Things aren't working out for me the way I hoped or the way I even prayed. You know, our hearts are complicated. And the way to each and every one of our hearts is a labyrinth. There are cages, there are locks, there are walls, there are you name it, that, uh, that, that are in front of it that keeps our hearts from being reached by God at points. And there's also things that keep us from pushing our hearts or giving our hearts away. You know, the title of my lesson this morning is The Way to your heart the way to your heart and no matter how complicated it is the beauty of all that is that God knows how to get there he knows how to get to your heart he knows how to get your attention and he has words for us this morning and always not just because it's Valentine's Day but we are talking about the way and walking in the way and knowing the way and it all starts there that if we're going to be a people, if you're going to be a person who loves God, who gives his heart, who walks with him, 
We've got to love God. And that's a constant battle and a constant fight to make sure our heart is being given to Him and not to other things or to Him and not being withheld. So the way to your heart, no matter how windy of a road, God has a deliberate way He wants to get to your heart this morning. You know, God could have described Himself in any way, but He chose in 1 John verse or chapter 4, verse 8 up there, up there, that God is love. Any other word he could have used, but he said love. To describe God is love. Not the way the world defines love, where it's a it's more of a uh, a commodity rather than a decision. It's the butterflies. And once those butterfly feelings go away, then you know what? This isn't working out. That love is something that I get rather than I give. It can be a consumerist word where love is in the air. It's something to be grasped and grabbed and kept for oneself. Not that kind of love. But God defines it for us. And we'd be, we'd be wise to let him define love for us. But that's who he is. And because of that, we've got to know it. We've got to let him define it, and we've got to let God love us. So God is love. My first point this morning as we prepare our hearts for communion is simply the way God loves you. I'm all over the place here. Sorry about that. The way God loves you. You know, we say to, we say to others, and we say to ourselves, and we sing songs about it, and we, we write in our journals, or we grip our steering wheels a little bit tighter on the way to work, or maybe later this afternoon because it's Valentine's Day, say, man, doggone it, I want to be loved. I want to be respected. I want to be adored, cherished, pursued. I want someone to be thinking about me. I want to be known more than I can produce. I want to be cherished. I want to be cared for. I want someone to know all my ugliness and not run away. We say all those things. And God says something to us too. The way he loves us. All those things we scream out or all those things we ooze out of our hearts or we've shut away deep in our core. Or if you're a guy, stereotypically, you don't think those things. You know, you just want to work hard. No, you do. And yes, I do. But God has an answer and does all those things for us. You know, you want to be loved? Oh, my goodness. God can't wait to show you how much he loves you. You know, you want to be thought of? The Bible says that God's thoughts for you outnumber the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky. There is no one, there is no one more than God who thinks about you. No one thinks about you more than God. Talk about someone who loves you more than you can produce. Let's take inventory about what we've contributed to this world. Let's take inventory about what we produce and how that actually helps God or serves God. God doesn't need our money. God, God can do anything. He lets us be involved. You know, the world says you are what you produce. You are what your zip code says about you. You are what your paycheck says about you. You are about your clothes. You are about your hairline and your waistline. You are about your smile and your teeth and your eyes and how pretty you are. That's who you are according to the world. But God says, you know what? It's not about what you produce. It's not about what you look like. It's not about what you give me. I love you because I've created you. You are more. You don't give me much of anything. 
more than heartache and pain, but God loves us anyway. He says that we, he cares for us immensely. He's seen all the ugly sides of us. You know, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13 says that the word of God that pierces between joints and divides, joints and marrows, it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of our minds. Think about that. You know, yay, amen for my wife. My wife have seen, has seen some ugly things in my heart. She's heard me say ugly things, and I've treated her in ugly ways before. But she hasn't seen every thought and every attitude pop up above, above my head like a flat screen TV. If she did, I don't know if we would ever date it. We definitely wouldn't be married. I think, oh my goodness, yes, there's a lot of great thoughts that come across my mind that I'd love for her to, for her to see. There's a lot of things I don't. And I think we'd all be embarrassed and ashamed if somebody had access into every word, thought, and attitude of your heart. But guess who does? God. God sees all the ugliness. God sees all the criticalness. He sees all the indecision. He sees all the lust, all the adultery of heart. He sees all the wishy-washy, all that stuff that would scare the, the best of us away. But God says, man, I know it all. And I love you despite it. Oh, it's ugly in there. But I love you anyway. All the things we cry out for and want deeply, God says, check, check, check. I love you like that. Our hearts can be all over the place, and God knows it. And yet, he loves us anyway. You know, God loves us that way. And we would be wise to let that just wash over us this morning, on Valentine's Day, but every day. To know how much God does indeed love us. You know, hopefully you're over in, in the book of Hosea. And I love the book of Hosea because it gives us a picture, an illustration of God's love for us. And he teaches us how he is towards us by giving us opportunities to love like that with others. And Hosea chapter 2, or yes, chapter 2, verse 14. We're going to start there this morning. In Hosea chapter 2, verse 14, it reads, Therefore I am now going to allure her. Talking about Israel. Allure her, I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly. Let me put that back up there. Buttons are uh, all over the place here today, guys. I'm so sorry. Here we go. Speak tenderly to, your, to her. Then I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Accor a door of hope. There she will respond in all the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I will remove the names of the Baals from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness. And you will acknowledge the Lord. I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people that you are my people. And they will say you are my God. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the, lo the Lord loves the Israelites. 
though they turn to other gods and love their sacred raisin cakes. Stop there. You know, this image of Hosea the prophet going to, to marry, uh, marry Gomer, a, a, daughter of da a daughter who is going to stray from Hosea's love. God knows ahead of time she's going to prostitute herself. She's going to be an adulteress. You're going to marry her, and I want you to marry her to show you how I love you, to show you how I love the Israelites. The Israelites were an adulterous people. They had, they had sold themselves to foreign gods. They were going over to, to the gods of, 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 of Astra and, and Baal to, to go to these fertility gods of the world around them to get the love that they so desired, to get the cherishing that their hearts yearned for. They cheapened love and went for it all over the place. And God knew. And God knew that. And he goes on to say, you know what, I see them. And I, I, I see them. I see that they're, they're, they're going after wives that are not their wives, husbands that are not their husbands. They're doing it to each other, but they're doing it to me. You know, the way God loves us, says there in 14, I'm going to allure her, that is Israel. I'm going to lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. You know, that's God's heart for us. That he allures us to him. That he draws us to him. He takes us away for the weekend. And he pours out his love for us. You know, where can we find that type of alluring? That type of heart for us? I mean, it's all over God's word. You know, if you're struggling to read your Bible, if you're struggling to spend time with God, know that God is has written a love story for you. And he wants you to just melt away over and over and over again. Now I know for the dudes out there, this is a tough sermon. Like love, uh, love story, love journal, love novel. What in the world? But our hearts desire this too. God is calling you. He's alluring you. He's taking you out for a bro's trip in the woods to show you how much you mean to him. How proud he is of you. How much he respects you. And how capable you are. How much he's going to be with you and how he won't turn away from you that he'll give you courage that he'll strengthen your weak arms he'll build you up he'll support you he'll carry burdens and loads those things might appeal to the hearts of men a bit more i think they appeal to women too but this is a love story not a law book this is god's heart for you these are his words that are meant to allure you to love him and to give your heart to him he is actively working in his word to find a way to your heart. He says in verse 15, to give back her vineyards, to make the valley in which he's planted a door of hope. That God wants to restore hope. He wants you to show you the doors of what's ahead. He wants to show you how sweet his love is, what it's like to be in him, to abide in him. We talked about that two weeks ago. To have his yoke upon us, that his burden is, is light and his yoke, his, excuse me, his burden is easy and his yoke is light. He wants to show you the replenishing of your heart and soul when you're in and with him. You know, in verse 15, it says that then once he allures you, once his words get to your heart and he shows you what's to come, that you will respond as in the days of her youth. 
and as the day she came up out of Egypt. When she broke free from slavery, those joyful noises they were making in the desert, when they looked back and they saw Pharaoh's army swept up by the waters, think about the joy, think about the celebrations, the, the, the glee that was filling the Israelite people when they saw God rescue them. It's that type of heart again. Where Psalm and David, Psalm 51 says, Restore the joy of my salvation. When we, when we come back to our first love, the, the book of Ephesians talks about our first love, and Revelation says that we've lost our first love, and that God wants to get to your heart so that those of you out there that are stale, who have kind of pulled your punches or aren't close to God as you know you need to be, that He wants to pull you back in. His words want to allure you back to Him so that we can respond like we did at first. That He is our first love. That we're giddy. That we have the butterflies. And then we appreciate and we're full of gratitude for who God is. You know, in verse 16, the, somber, the sobering reality is that we, we were not God's husband. We were not His people. We were adulterous. We were all over the place. We gave ourselves and still do give ourselves to so many different things. Yet God keeps finding a way to our heart. And he comes and he calls us something that we are not. He calls us his bride, the church. Ephesians 5 talks about us being a bride. We don't deserve to be. We don't deserve to be wed by the God of love. We don't deserve it. But yet he says, you will call me my husband. I know that's hard for us out there, some guys. But the reality is, when we see the love of God, oh man, that's the relationship I want to be in. That we're not slave and master, but we are husband and wife. That that connection, the intimacy, the knowing of one another, I hope you're following me this morning. You know, it changes our hearts when we know the love of God and we find a way into our heart practically we have a renewed sense of gratitude. How do you know God's made his way to your heart? That You've given your heart back to him. You're grateful. Your salvation is restored and you appreciate being in God. You see that he's the one. He's the one that cherishes you more than anyone else. He's the one that affirms you more than any job or coworker or man or woman or boss. He's the one that gives you more identity. And a secure one at that than money, zip code, square footage of your home, or the retirement account, or the effectiveness of your job, or who you are, and your talents. You know, how else you know that you have, God has found his way to your heart is that the, the, the words of false gods are no longer on your lips. You know, when you fall in love, you don't talk about your ex-boyfriends anymore. When you fall deeply in love, you don't bring up your ex-girlfriends. You know, when I'm married to Lindsay for 14 years, I'm not talking about any other girls. That's my girl. That's my wife. You know, those, those, those girls, their names are removed from the archive of my heart and mind. I don't talk about them anymore. Lindsay is, is squarely in that role and no one else. That's what God says happens when our hearts, when God has found his way to our hearts. All the old things we used to do. Those words aren't on my lips. Those things aren't on my mind. 
I don't want to go back to that stuff, that fake, ugh. but God's love is where I want to remain. It changes us. It changes us, church, and we've, and therefore, we've got to know the way God loves us. Because nobody wants to go through life half-hearted. No one wants to be lukewarm. No one wants to be in a relationship where you don't feel loved and you're not given love. No one wants to kind of say, I don't really know if this is working out. We all want to be fully engaged, and that's why it's so important that we start with knowing God loves us. And we let that wash over us so that we can have a renewed sense of who he is. So that we can be like the Egyptians when they first crossed the Red Sea, grateful for our rescuing. And we've got to know, it's so important that we know how much God loves us. Because the, the things that we used to do, the things that got our hearts all twisted and jaded and critical and discouraged and outright just burnt out. The things that snuffed out our ability to love, those things can be eradicated. We can be set free from those things to truly be secure and love God and be loved. That's why it's so important for us to know how much God loves us. Now flip over to John chapter 13. We're going to come in for a landing here as we get ready for uh, to take the juice and the bread. In John 13, we see this beautiful picture of Passover. And in verse 1, it says, It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Oh, man, what a beautiful picture here. You know, the Passover was a, was a, a festival that the whole people of Israel would look forward to. And it was an intimate dinner. Remembering what God did as he rescued the, Egypt, the Israelites from Egypt. And this wasn't something you just kind of hung out with the brothers or the guys over at Buffalo Wild Wings. This was something you met with your family, your mom, your dad, your cousins. So for Jesus to say, I'm not going to go hang out with my mom. I'm going to go hang out with the boys. Shows you how special his disciples were to him. And we know this story that he goes on to, in verse, in verse 2, as the evening meal was progressing, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. You know what Jesus does here? is slave labor, a labor of love for his disciples. He puts himself in a role that only a slave would be. He submits himself in such, such a way. He lowers himself beyond any role that a rabbi should take, but any role that anyone in the world should willingly take. But he does it. He does it to show them his love. In verse 12, says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash another's feet, one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, 
nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus will go on in this chapter to share with us and to share with his disciples that this is how you know what love is. To lay down one's life for one's friends. And he does that for us. He lowers himself to a slave labor. He washes our feet, the dirtiest part of us, in symbolism of washing us completely, which he does. And then he tells us, you know what? The full extent of my love isn't just here washing your feet, but I'm going to lay down my life for you. And that's how Jesus, like God showed Hosea through Gomer, that's how he wanted to show us how much he loved us. He's going to lower himself completely. He's going to lower himself to wash us. He's going to get down on his knees and, and dirty himself for us. That he's going to, to go even farther than that and die for us. That full extent. That's the way God loves us. And why? Why did God do that? Because he knows that's the only way to our heart. He knows that's the only thing radical enough to wake us out of our stupor of loving other things and then finally get all the fog and take off the glasses, the rose-colored glasses that look at the world like this is the place where I'm going to get love. Take those off and get vision clear, clarified right to Jesus. All the sappy movies out there of, oh, you know, my best friend was there all along. He loved me before I loved him or loved her, and there he was, or there she was from the whole time. Oh, how stupid I was. And that's our story. There's God all this time showing you the full extent of his love. And he does it on the cross. That's the way to our hearts. Our hearts can be so distracted, so hardened, so apathetic, so jaded, so burdened, so dis disillusioned, that it takes Jesus dying a horrific death to wake us up out of our stupor, for us to see how much he loves us. You know, like Hosea, when, when, when Hosea saw the, the act of loving Gomer over and over and over again, even though she went out and was adulterous, and God said, go and bring her back home, Hosea realized just how deep the love of God is for his people. Just how thorough and how perfect God's love is. He realized what John penned thousands of years later, that God is love. And that's who he is for each and every one of us. You know, Valentine's can be a tricky day. But it's hopefully, prayerfully, realigning our hearts back to who God is. How he shows us his love. And how that can awaken us. How that can transform us. How that can remove all the falsehoods from our lips and change us. And how that can motivate us now to, as Jesus showed us, that once we saw how much we're loved, we can go and love fully. The truth is, we take communion this morning to celebrate God's love for us, to renew our appreciation for his loving sacrifice and resurrection, to, to radically convict and shift and change our hearts, to, to steer away from those things that are false, cheap imitations of love. Communion does that for us every week. 
But it's not meant to just stop with juice and bread. It's meant to motivate us, the church, to stay close to God, to walk with Him, and to be about Him and His work of loving others. He has set us an example, not of cards and chocolates, but of life-giving action to love one another. How is your love for God? How is your heart? Think about that. God cares about your heart. How is God trying to allure you back to Him? How is He trying to show the falsehoods of these, these things in the world that draw our hearts so cheaply to? What is He exposing? Look for God alluring you back. Look for God trying to reestablish gratitude. Not so that you can be enslaved to that, but so you can be free to love what you are always meant to love. You want to be cherished. You want to be appreciated. You want to be loved despite all your ugliness. You want to be loved when you're old and gray. You want to know that love is for the long haul. If you have God, you found it. And if you don't, he's here. And you have an option, a choice, a chance to respond. God is love. God knows the way to our hearts. Thank you, God, for Jesus, who knows the way to each and every one of our hearts. And we have a chance to respond in gratitude and in renewed faith to walk with him, to love him, and to imitate him in loving others. Let's pray for the bread and the juice. Lord in heaven, God, thank you so much for the way you love us, that you know the way to our hearts. And it was so radical to show us that you're willing to sacrifice your son for our sin, to help us to see that you want us to be your people. And you want to be our husband, as it says in Hosea. Help us as your church to fall deeply in love with you. To throw off the shackles of false love and distractions. God, to have our hearts mended and healed by the things that we've experienced in this world that have made us feel less cheapened, uh, uh, hurt, burned. Uh, even, even when we try to love the way you do and we... Don't see it reciprocated, even by our own brothers and sisters, that we can get jaded and bittered. Heal our hearts and know that you are the one that we can look to that will never disappoint. Thank you, God, for loving us despite all the ways we run off and do our own thing. Thank you for calling us back. Thank you for giving us a chance to respond. I pray as a church that we do fall in love and walk with you in that way more than ever before. We love you. We pray that you bless our time of reflection and remembrance. And we ask all this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.